So what I'm going to share with you now um, is the true education model. Now, whether you're teaching at home or at school, these principles are the same. Right? Sometimes we think that because we're teaching at home, we're now doing true education. But you can bring the worldly system of education in the home, and you're still not following God's system of education. There, there is a, a specific model. And so we're just going to present some principles, some basic principles. And um, basically what I was asked was to share um, practically how these principles can be done in a school setting. And um, so I, at, the time, at the same time I'm sharing the principles, I'm going to share with you some of the things that we do at our school. Like I told you before, I don't know every, any, everything about true education. There's very little I, I know. Um, the little bit that I know, we've been applying. We're learning what we do. Um, we are required to have a teacher meeting every week. And we spend an hour in this teaching meeting, 45 minutes of that hour, we are reading the inspired writings. In the last 15 minutes, we discuss issues of the school. Okay? This is how we're doing our meetings because we realize that we cannot be doing the right system of education if we're not constantly learning from what God has given us. We read, we think we know, we go on, and then we forget. Sometimes we start something and we forget why we were doing it and some great idea comes and it looks good. It looks like a nice thing, has good purposes in it. And we adapt this idea without thinking through the principles again because we've forgotten. We, we easily forget. This is why the people of Israel had to tell and retell the stories over and over and over to the children because they need to remember. And so. I, I believe we need to do the same thing with these councils. We need to read them and read them again and read them again. And so we started reading the Book of Education. When we finished, we started reading Fundamentals of Christian Education. This year we're reading councils to teachers, parents, and students. Um, I'm personally reading Child Guidance. And when we read all of them, we're going to start again with education. But there's no time when you know it all. So we have purpose to do this instead of reading all these professional books that are there because they are, they are created by people who were uh, uh, trained and taught in the system of education, of the world uh, system of education. Now, I'm not saying that there's no place to read other books. Um, I'm just saying this is what we've chosen for our school. So as we learn it, we apply. And sometimes I'm sitting there with my teachers and we're learning together. Right? We're reading these things and we are questioning, how do we make this practical? And so what I'm going to share with you is what we've done. We are not where we need to be. We are growing every year. And as I look back, my first year, there was a lot of things I was doing that I'm not doing anymore. So you learn as you go. But if you're faithful to do what the Lord has given you, and faithful to learn, not say, well, I already, this is what I know, this is what I'm going to do, but to continue to seek for his light, he will be faithful to bring the results, even through our mistakes of them. Okay, so I'm going to start with a quote we shared in the last session, but that it is very important because this is essential um, in the right system of education. In the book of education, page 17, says, Every human being created in the image of God is endowed with a power akin to, the, to that of the creator, individuality, power to think and to do. The men in whom this power is developed are the men who bear responsibilities, who are leaders in enterprises, and who influence character. It is the work of true education to develop this power. 
to train the youth to be thinkers and not mere reflectors of others' men's thought. Instead of confining their study to that which men have said or written, let students be directed to the sources of truth, to the vast fields open for research and nature and revelation. Let them contemplate the great facts of duty and destiny, and the mind, and the mind will expand and strengthen. Instead of educated weaklings, institutions of learnings may send forth men strong to think and to act. Men who are masters and not slaves of circumstances. Men who possess breadth of mind, clearness of thought, and the courage of their convictions. Now, if you look at um, the young people that are coming out of the school systems nowadays, that's not the kind of men and women that we see. The worldly system of education is not teaching them to think. The, the system is based on learning to spit out the information we've given you. Don't think, just learn it, memorize it, spit it out. And, and, and not only is this not going to help them to learn these things to the maximum of how they could, but it is hindering their ability to understand and accept spiritual concepts, right? It will affect their experience with God. It's not just a system of education that, it's, um, that doesn't work. It is destroying the ability for the children to be able to be true thinkers, to think through that they may have their own convictions, make their own decisions, and not follow the crowd, not follow what the governments will tell them at some point. Um, they will be pressing laws against our convictions. If they don't think for themselves and know for themselves, they will follow. And so this is important for them and it is important for us. And um, in my time teaching, I can tell you that we do a lot of different things and I worked with uh, wonderful people who love children and who are doing what they believe is best. I mean, they truly think all these things is what is best, and I thought it too, and we are doing all these wonderful things to help the children, but these children, the more uh, that we're doing these things, the less that they're able to be thinkers. You ask them to do something that is outside of the little formula that they learned, and they can't do it, right? And so this is very important that we understand um, um, this, the importance of them to think, to be thinkers. In page 230 of the book of uh, education, it says, the education that consists in the training of the memory, tending to discourage independent thought, has a moral bearing which is too little appreciated. We don't understand how, how much it affects. As the student sacrifices the power to reason and judge for himself, he becomes incapable of discriminating between truth and error and falls an easy prey to deception. He's easily led to follow traditions and customs. Right, so if we do not teach them to think, they will easily follow the traditions and the customs of this world. Okay, so I'm gonna start by uh, teaching you principles. This principle is one we don't think about, but it's very important. The principle of simplicity. Ministry of Healing, page 381. The more quiet 
and simple the life of a child, the more favorable it will be to both physical and mental development. We tend to have this, this idea. You know, we see children, they do something, they jump to something else, and then jump to something else, and we, in our minds, have created this idea that this is normal. But God did not create the children to be that way. This is not supposed to be normal, right? Uh, this overstimulation encourages superficial thinking. When, and, and it comes because they have too many things. Too many toys, too many activities, even good activities. Going from, from uh, piano lessons to this, uh, going to the playground with the friends and this and whatever, whatever. We have all these things in the schedule that children do not have time. And the way that the mind of the children work they need time to process and think. And because we are not allowed to do this, they now become nervous, they're jumping from thing to thing, uh, and this is, not, this is not best. God, if you let a child be, they can be forever just looking at the ants, going like this, for hours, and they won't get bored. So why do we think that it is normal for children to get bored with something so easily and move to thing to thing? We created this problem. God did not create them that way. <coughs> this little girl in the picture, I don't know if you can uh, tell, this right here is, is a little house that she made with sticks uh, propping up this leaf. She spent the whole recess hour working with this, and she was by herself. And you, I mean, she lost all track of time. She's just working with little sticks and little stones. And it's just precious to be able to, to observe that and see this. This is what God wanted for our children. He did not want our children running up and there and there. And it's a hard thing to do. I have a hard time sometimes getting the parents to understand that. You know, we take them out sometimes to field trips and the kids want to run from this to that to that. Well, let's go back. Let's cut. They miss half of it because they're not even looking. Let's look. What do we learn from this? What do we learn from this? It's not run from here to here to there. God is, and the problem is we do the same in our lives. Running from here to here. And God is trying to speak to us. He's trying to teach us lessons in everything in life. The simpler our lives, the better it is for us too, not just for the children. So whether you're teaching at home or at the school, you need to make sure to keep things simple. You know, I had the privilege to go uh, to Honduras two years in a, in a row in my summer break and help an elementary school there. And one thing I told the teachers there, usually in these schools that are in mission fields, they always feel uh, underprivileged because they can't afford to have this and have that and have the other. And I told them, you have a privilege to be restricted this way because it keeps it simple. In the States, we are so bombarded with so many resources, so, so many things. We think we have to have it, and it's a constant temptation to make things complicated that don't need to be. They can't afford to have all this technology, so they don't have it. But if they could afford it, they probably would, right? And so it is very hard for us to, to not do something that we can afford to do because we think you know, we have the right to have it, we have the resources, let's do all these things, right? Uh, and one of the things um, that has become a huge distraction for children nowadays is technology. And I'm not going to go a whole lot into this, 
But here is a quote from an um, article, and it says, Early brain development is determined by environmental stimuli, or lack thereof. Stimulation to a developing brain caused by overexposure to technologies has been shown to be associated with executive functioning and attention deficit, cognitive delays, impaired learning, increased impulsivity, and decreased ability to self-regulate. Okay, so here we see all this technology that we thought was helping the children to learn better is what's causing all the problems they have. Years ago, you didn't hear of this attention deficit disorder. I mean, when I started working teaching, I, didn't, I couldn't understand how was it that these children couldn't even sit in the chair. They were like all over the place. And I, 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 was, I had no idea I had signed up for this. And uh, this is not how children were. And many of these children are medicated to be able to come into a classroom, to have normal life, to be able to pay attention to something. What created all that? Now, technology is not the only problem. Some of it has to do with the diet and, uh, and other uh, lifestyle issues. Um, but technology has been a great part of it. And it actually, um, it has been discovered that all these, even educational technology, has not done the improvement that they expected it to, to do. And in some cases, now, if, if you really look at the, uh, the facts, um, it, it does more hindrance than good, but some cases actually will, um, some research will actually let you know that it's, it, it actually hinders them. Um, but why do we still do it? It's a business. They're making money out of it. They're not interested in your child's salvation or even their success in this world. They're trying to make money. And so they portray that way, and we buy into it, the schools buy into it, there's millions of do the dollars that are going into buying all kinds of technology in the public school systems. And instead of helping the children, it's hindering their education. And so you don't need it, right? If you can't afford it, praise the Lord for it. If you can and you are putting this in, in your children's life, take it away. <laughs> it's not helping them. Now, as the, I show you some pictures in, um, of our school. When I first started there, we had four computers in each classroom. And as I learned about uh, technology in the developing brain and how it affected it, I, we took the computers out of the primary school classroom. And as I continued learning, we took them out of the other classroom too. So now we only have one computer in each classroom. It's a teacher computer used for lesson plannings and such. There's rare, maybe once in a semester, when we might show a, a little clip uh, of something uh, to the children from the computer. but. We don't use them. So you might see some pictures that have computers in the background that's from the earlier years, right? Uh, all the pictures I have from today are from my five years working at elementary school. Like I said, we have been growing and learning, so some things we had to learn along the way. Um, but we have found that taking that out, the children have not missed out anything. And now there's more space to do other things. When they get to high school, they have plenty of time. They can learn computer use like this. The parents at first were like, well, how are they going to learn how to use the computer? Those kids can teach me how to use the computer. Right? They don't need 
so many years to learn it. And by the time they get to uh, the age when they have to use it, it's going to be a different kind of technology. It changes all the time. They learn it later. They do not need to learn it now. So they'll have plenty of time, high school and college, to learn it. We are trying to work on what is most important at this time, uh, which is the character development. And you, if you miss this window, there's not something you can do later. There's a lot of things you can do later in life and learn it just as well as in uh, younger years, or even better, because now you have the knowledge you need to understand uh, the fundamentals of that. But the character development, you will not ever learn it like you can in the early years. You know, by God's grace, he can change us, but you know, I, I praise the Lord, I had really good parents that taught me high moral standards. My parents were not Adventists, are not Adventists. I didn't go to Christian education, or much less true education. Um, so I am messed up, <laughs> and I am having to struggle with a lot of things that my mind got used to see and understand because of that system. It is a struggle, and even when you learn the right way, uh, it's not the same. So let's give our children the best opportunities. Now, um, study of the Bible is the most important thing in education, right? In Psalms 119, 130 says, the entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. Councils to the Church, page 202, says the students are to be educated in practical Christianity, and the Bible must be regarded as the highest, the most important textbook. Right? This is the highest and the most important. Now, here it mentions, again, practical knowledge, practical Christianity, and we talked about uh, missionary work as being part of that. But another thing that we do in our school, every week they have to memorize a verse of the Bible. And my burden has been to teach them how to um, apply that verse to their lives. Because what good is it if they memorize all these things here and they don't know how to practically put it in their lives. So when I introduce the verse on Monday, usually we introduce the verse, and then they're memorizing it through the week. I, we talk about how is this practical in our lives? How is it practical to you? And I might give them some ideas, but I always encourage them to pray that God will show them what aspect of their lives specifically and how specifically they need to apply it to their lives. And through the week, they have a notebook that's their Bible journal. Every morning, the first thing they need to do is to write down the Bible verse and how they applied it the day before. So they need to be reflecting on this verse and what did they do to apply it. And it's really interesting to see some of the things that they write in there. I mean, these are children, so obviously they can't come up with this very thought through things. But it's, it, it's very practical how they are applying it. And um, this one time I was talking about, I was talking about judging others. Um, in, in, our, in our setting, it is very common for the children to fall into the temptation of thinking we're good and children who don't behave like us are bad and we're going to look down on them. And so I'm constantly trying to help them get out of this idea. And unfortunately, sometimes we as adults are the ones that put this in their minds. And so I saw, we sometimes have children who come from other backgrounds into our school. And I saw how one of these children was being treated by, by the kids. Let me tell you, I have learned a lot about 
what God goes through um, watching these kids. It pained me, but they didn't see it. They didn't recognize what they were doing. So the worships on that week, we're talking about the memory verse and the worships, we're talking about this idea. And I was reading their Bible journals and one of the students wrote down um, on his Bible journal, at the end of his response, he wrote down, please pray for me that I will not talk about others. And that, that child, I saw huge difference in the way that he was relating to those who he did not think was as good as he was. Mm-hmm. You know? Can you repeat that statement, please? What did she say? Talk about? What did the, the, student, say the student The student just asked me to pray for him that he would not talk about others. Uh-huh. Okay? Now, what was happening, this, this student was very good. Anywhere he goes, you will recognize him as a very good student. People praise him for that. We need to be careful. People will praise him for that. And, and his parents were very proud of him. And, and we should have a certain, you know, acknowledgement of their good behavior. But his parents would talk about other children who were not as good as him in front of him. And he got to the thinking that he was better than these other children. And um, his parents, as a matter of fact, at one time were concerned that some of these children were in a school and were influencing we're going to influence his, his child. And I mean, we, we do have to watch the influences of our ch- uh, that we expose our children to. Um, and we are very careful that we do not bring influences that we're not able to control into the school because our school is not an outreach for outside. Our school is meant to provide a safe environment for the children of our workers uh, to be in. Um, but they're not all in the same place. They are learning in different places. We have had to dismiss children at times because they have brought influences that we just cannot take in there. Um, but this was not influences of worldly things. It was more, you know, the child didn't have a whole lot of self-control and so he might be here and there. And, um, um, but he was responding very well to our program. His parents were very understanding and working with it. So um, to help this child understand that, it's very important that our children learn um, to grow, to expect better of themselves, but not to see themselves as better than others. Uh, this will ruin them. It really will ruin them. So, but it was really special for me to be able to see that. And so it's important that they're memorizing verses. It's important that they are learning the Bible, but if they don't know how to practically apply it to their lives, what does it mean to you? Not to that person, not to that person, because we hear something and can apply it to everybody else very quickly. But how do you apply it to you? And that's uh, what we try to do there, to help them to see the Bible that way. On the Book Councils of Education, page 118, it says the Bible is the only rule of faith and doctrine, and there is nothing more calculated to re-energize the mind and strengthen the intellect than the study of the Word of God. No other book is so potent to elevate the thoughts, to give vigor to the faculties as the broad and noble truth of the Bible. If God's word were studied as it should be, men would have a breadth of mind, a nobility of character, and a stability of purpose that is rarely seen in these times. Right? Now, my first year uh, there at Wildwood, I was so excited. I get to, my first time, I get to talk about the Bible and the school. And... Um, I bought Bibles for all the students, and we were going through the Bible curriculum. 
And I uh, started by sharing the stories in the Bible curriculum and talking about what they were at. And, I, and at some point I decided, you know, I'm gonna take them to the Bible and teach them these stories from the Bible. Now I have four first graders, so I thought we're gonna do this and then I'll tell the story to the first graders because they're not gonna understand how to do this. They didn't know how to read. They had not, uh, this was their first year there. Um, and their parents have followed the, the council not to start uh, academics earlier, so they didn't, they were still learning the letters and the sounds of the letters. So we started with the Bible, but they had their own Bible. Everybody had to look for the verses, and they got so excited, they wanted to read it. Those children, we started reading with them. They're seven and eight years old when they're starting in, in first grade in our school. And... Uh, they're so excited about being able to read the Bible. They're raising their hand because they want to read the next verse. And I'm like, I don't think this can happen. But, <laughs> but I, don't, I didn't want to discourage them, so I let them read it. And maybe they can just read the word the all through it, and the rest I had to help them with it. But eventually, these kids, I had one little girl. By the second semester, she was reading at a fourth grade level. And she left our school, went to California. They tested her. She was reading by sixth grade level by then. And they asked her mom, how does she know how to read so well? We asked her all these questions about stories, and she didn't know anything about them. Of course, they're talking about fairy tales that she never heard anything of. And she said to them, you know, her teacher taught her to read by reading the Bible. And <laughs> them probably they thought she was crazy, but as a testimony to what the Word of God can do. Now, I'm not saying teach your little kid to read the Bible, but she picked up on it really quickly. And the other children, not everyone is able to, to read it right away, but they all have their Bibles, and they're happy to open it and, and be able to follow and read as much as they can and uh, to start learning to understand it. Now, the mind is like a garden. Right? And if you try to, to, to plant something in a garden that's full of weeds, if you've tried to do this, you know you won't get very much success. Some plants might survive, but the majority of them will die. So the same thing is with the mind. You can do all the good things, but if you leave the weeds there, you can plant the really nice plant there, you can water it, you can give it all that, but if the weeds are there, these plants will not grow the same. So sometimes we follow the wrong system of education and we might have some good successes and we say, well, we look back and say, well, it worked. Um, you leave all the weeds in there, it might work. You might have some that survive, but there's very huge changes, that, uh, there's big changes that, chances that they will not make it. And when it comes to the salvation of our children, we cannot take that risk. So to be able to teach the Bible and the principles that they need to learn for them to be able to understand it, we need to take some things out. And there's a lot of things, and as you learn uh, more about the principles of education and more about the principles of heaven, the Lord will show you what all these things are. I'm going to share two things that in my experience with education are big issues that stand in the way from the children having the mind of Christ, uh, being able to understand Bible principles, being able to um, be influenced by spiritual things, right? And they can be very controversial to some people, um, but we need, to, we need to understand these things from the principles of heaven and uh, judging them that way. So one of the things is 
Uh, oh, sorry, I, sh I did have some pictures here about um, study of the Bible. This is our pastor um, teaching the children about the century. And um, this is another one of our, we have three, uh, we have a church on campus and three churches uh, in the area. This is one of the pastors of the three churches. He, he loves nature. So anytime he teaches the Bible to the children, he always brings a nature object with it. And so you can see the kids are really into it. So he's sharing with them of that. And we have different people that come on Fridays. Uh, Monday through Thursday, I do the, the Bible class. And then on Friday, we have a guest person from our campus come in. This um, gentleman was teaching with, uh, was studying with them the book of Revelation. And when he first came and started studying the book of Revelation, I thought, he doesn't he didn't think this through very much. <laughs> I don't think these kids are going to get that. But they were like really excited. And they were looking forward to him coming the next week. And one of the, the girls, she was in third grade, she started re reading the book of Revelation at home with her mom. And her mom was like, I've never even taken that much interest in Revelation. And now we're studying because she wants to study it because she's studying in school. And so, you know, children, sometimes we do not give them enough credit what they can understand. If you take away the things that, that will hinder their minds from understanding, they will understand a lot more than we think. And so they, were, they loved um, the study of Revelation. This is them praying. We teach them to spend time praying for themselves. We pray together. We have them in, in partners sometimes, and they have to pray for each other. Um, and so that's part of their spiritual experience. Now, uh, talking about the weeds, this is the first thing that... Um, I've learned, especially as I taught in uh, elementary school grades, the reading of fiction. It's, it's a big thing. I taught first grade uh, for eight years in public schools, uh, and the majority of what we used to teach reading was fiction. And I grew up with fiction and fairy tales and stories, and I loved them. And I thought, it was, this is the great th greatest thing in the world. And I, my favorite time of the day was telling children stories. When I learned this principle from God's counsel, it was hard for me. But I decided I'm going to believe God. And when you choose to believe God and follow His principles, He will help your mind to understand. But it might not be immediately. At first, you might have to go just by faith. Faith is believing what you cannot see, right? But if you see the principles in the Bible, it says in John 14, 6, it says, Jesus says, unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In John 8:44, he, talking about the devil, was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So here is the principle established from the word of God. Truth comes from God, lies comes from the devil. Fictions are not true. It does not come from God, right? And so we <coughs> can't afford to waste any time putting in front of our children and in our minds anything that's not true, right? We, these things only will create a desire in their minds for, the, the, for lies, and, and we don't want them falling after the father of lies, right? So this is very important. Now, in counsels to the church, Ellen G.Y. says those... Page 170, she says, Those whose imagination has not become perverted by the reading of fiction will find the Bible the most interesting of books. Mm -hmm. Right? So if they have been feeding in these things, 
they're going to have no desire for the Bible because their minds have now created a taste for something that's unreal. And the Word of God is truth. It's, it goes against the principles in those things. So this is something that it's hard sometimes, but you have to be very careful, not just in reading, but in anything you do with the children, that games and the things that they do for fun, that you only put before them truth and principles of truth. When I came to this principle, I was teaching in public schools, so I was not in a, in, a, in a true education setting, but I decided I'm going to follow God's way. All the books that I had to teach reading were fiction. And I said, Lord, how do I do this? Our library, the nonfiction books that were in our library were third grade level and up. We had nothing for first grade or even second grade, and I was teaching first grade. So I had no idea how I was gonna do it, but I decided I'm gonna do it. So I purchased a few books. I had a few in my classroom, nonfiction books, and I purchased a few more, and I was trying to figure out how in the world am I gonna do this. Um, and so I began to take all these fairy tales and all these things out and to use the nonfiction books. And that, about a month later, I found out that the library had gotten a grant uh, that year and they decided that since the need that was in the library was for nonfiction books for the primary grades that they were going to spend the grant in purchasing books for uh, non-fiction books for the primary grades. And all of a sudden we have all these brand new non-fiction books. The kids were so excited that now we have this, I was bringing these books into the classroom and they're like super happy with this brand new books. Uh, they never missed, I mean, I never mentioned it. Obviously in that setting, I, I can't tell them what Ellen Dubois says or what the Bible says. I'm just applying the principles and they were super excited. Never did they miss the other and at the end of the year, when they did the, the reading test that year and then on, I only taught another maybe th three years after that, uh, they always came ahead in their reading. They did much better, especially reading comprehension because they, uh, nonfiction reading helps them to be thinkers. They have to think. Storytelling only creates an, an idea for amusement, for being entertained. They don't have to think, they're just being entertained in their minds. So they don't learn to think. And, and a lot of these reading tests, they have to, reading comprehension is testing their, their knowledge of what they just read, their ability to actually um, evaluate their, the reading that they just read and comprehend it in a practical way. And so they did much better. Now you will not always have these visible results and you still will have to be faithful to God's uh, ways. Huh? Um, I'm sharing that because it was an experience I had, um, but God doesn't always show uh, us the way in which things turned out, but in heaven we will see that every, th every time we, we, we follow his ways, there were great results, uh, whether we get to see them here or not. Okay, the next, the other thing that we have uh, had to remove from our school is the spirit of competition. In Philippians 2, 3 says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. If you think about 
competition. And we usually, the word competition usually is, is equated with sports. And though that's probably one of the, the, the most powerful um, uh, ways of competition, it's not the only one, right? Anytime that children are taught to try to do better than others to where they have to, um, to rule them out so that they can get there, that's the same spirit, right? Um, and the principle of Christ, the principle of the Bible, is to have lowliness of mind, to esteem others better than ourselves. We want our children to do this, but then we teach them games in which they are not trying to have a lowliness of mind or think better of others. They're trying to think I'm better and I'm going to beat you. And um, we play these games and we say it's just a game, but we're feeding a mindset. We're feeding a spirit that is not of God. If you look at the life of Christ, never in anything that he did, did he have the spirit. We cannot be saying that our children, to have fun, can be doing something that is feeding a spirit that goes totally against the spirit of Christ. In Galatians 5, verse 19 through 21, it says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murderers, drunkenness, revelings, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in the past, that they which do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if our schools, if education is supposed to train the children to be able to be in heaven, we cannot be having these kinds of things. Now, emulations, if you look at the word emulation, it means the act of attempting to be equal or excel in quality or actions. Right? So this is what emulations is. This is what competition is. You're trying to, uh, to be as good as somebody else or better than them. Uh, and then you have wrath, which if you look at children working, a competitive, I mean, playing a <coughs> competitive game, there will be a lot of anger ex uh, expressed there. Envyings, right? That you're envying another person, you want what they have, you're not happy if you didn't win. The other one win, you don't get happy for them. You're s upset. And, you know, when I, um, I was working in a school, I will not name the school, and they were teaching and there, the importance of uh, eliminating competition from, from their lives. And so they did not have sports in this school. But like I t told you before, children or uh, youth in this case, I mean, they're still children. They, um, they have a way to see right through things. If you teach them a principle, they want to see it applied all throughout, right? So they were like, well, they make such a big deal about my game of soccer and about my game of basketball, but they're over there praying Scrabble, and because this wins, it's okay to try to win to the other person. It's okay to do this. And at that time, I was new to all this. So I was with them on this side, and then I heard the students complain, and I thought, well, now that makes a little bit of sense. And then I started studying for myself and realizing is the spirit itself a competition, not the sports, not this activity or the activity, that spirit. It cannot be. And so you can have that spirit even when you're not playing a game. It can be in the whole idea of grades. 
It can be in having positions even at the church, being in this position, the, the, that position. You know, we can get into the spirit in so many ways. And I truly believe this is one of the things that have kept us from being united as we should because we're trying to compete against each other instead of trying to help ev everyone to make it to heaven. It's almost like we're trying to compare each other and, and be better than our brothers and sisters and get more of the of, um, praise and, and look better. And um, we, we cannot afford to do anything that will feed that spirit because it's already in our carnal nature. We need to kill it. We need to starve it. And uh, so we cannot afford to have these, these games in there. Um, you know, it's not just don't use the time of school for this, but we really should not have it in our lives in any way. Uh, and include anything that will be there. Because we can do all the right things, and if we're feeding this idea of, of fiction and competition, there's many other principles that can be there. These are the two that I found most um, uh, hindrance in the schools because usually the, the kids are expecting competition um, and you know the recess time is usually a time I have to be constantly guiding them because they can get very competitive sometimes in some of the games um, and I have had to become very creative um, I remember one time we played a game we some of you might be familiar with uh, musical chairs um, where it's a game you you have a certain number of tiers one less than the number of students you have you play music when the music stops, they all have to try to find a chair and leave one person out. And so that person's out, now you take another chair and you're trying to eliminate people going around. So I decided one day we're going to play a similar game but with the principles of heaven. Instead of trying to rule people out, leave them out of the chair, because you're trying to get there first. That means you're trying to leave that person from not getting a chair. You don't care who stays standing as long as you start sitting. So I, I got this hula hoops that we had in the basement, and I took them out, and I said, I told them, you know, I reminded them of the game, they all knew the game, and I said, this is what we're gonna do. I'm gonna play the music, I'm gonna take a hula hoop out, and all of us need to feed in the hula hoops that are there. If anyone is out, we're all in trouble. So that means that you need to make sure that whoever's out comes into your circle. And at first it's very easy, but at the end, there's one hula hoop and a bunch of kids, right? And they were holding each other to be able to all be inside the circle. And after the game, I said, now, I want you to think about this. If we are going to make it to heaven, you might have to sacrifice your space to bring people in. We cannot be pushing people out. You're not going to make it to heaven now. The Christ-like spirit is we, we will... They bring people with us. We will help each other. We will hold each other to make it there. And I said, you know, in the end times, you may have prepared. Your parents may have prepared, and they have their home, and somebody didn't prepare. What are you going to do? Well, sorry, you didn't prepare. You stay out. No, that means you may not have. You may have to share your bed with somebody else. It means you may have to share your living room and now not have all this space to sit around. You might have to have people's. We need to think of these things. If you are preparing for. For a country leaving, you need to be prepared to receive people because there are some people that are going to receive the light at the end times. If we have in the spirit that I prepare for myself and I'm good, sorry for you, that's not the spirit of heaven. Everything that we do from the games to the book learning needs to have the spirit of heaven. It is not just add a little verse to something or pray before the game. You have to look at the principles behind everything that you do. What are you teaching? Is it a principle of God? Is it the spirit of God? Is it a spirit of Satan? 
because we can we can tell the children all the time you need to be christ-like we need to be christ-like but if we are feeding the unchrist-like character they're going to be unchrist-like right so we need to look at everything that we're putting before them and think what spirit are we bringing and so it takes a lot of thinking getting outside of your boxes but when you are willing to do, I'm not a creative person, which is rare for an elementary school teacher. Usually elementary school teachers are very creative. I'm not. I had to do a lot of praying. And God would give me these ideas and I realized, man, this is God working. Because if I don't find it in a book, I was like trying to find books that had games that were non-competitive. Where do you find this? And there's a few, but some of the games were like, um, I don't know about this, you know. But once you teach the principles and you go over it, I, we don't always play a game. Sometimes they're just in the woods, building forts. If you notice here, they're just sliding down a hill with uh, the lid of a trash can. This is, they always complain that our, our playground doesn't have a slide. I said, what are you talking about? There's a slide right here. <laughs> and the one before, this is, they made a fort. They, they, he's actually in a hole in the ground. <laughs> I don't know how they did that. Uh, but they, they made this fort with all these things the, uh, that they found around. And they made a whole little village. And each of them had their houses, and they were helping each other build their houses. Because they, they can be doing this in a competitive way. And this is why uh, recess time cannot be a break for the teachers. It's class. You have to be there and guiding them. Because if they start being competitive sometimes, and I don't usually go over there and say, that's not right. I just go and say, hmm, now let's think about this. And I try to make them think through what they're doing. And then they themselves are like, oh, that's not what I should be doing. Let's do this instead. That's the best way when they're coming up with it. But you have to guide them. You ha and how can you guide them if you're not there? I ne never let them be where I cannot hear them. If I cannot hear them, they've gone too far. I need to be where I can hear their conversations so I can guide their, their conversations. Right? And so this is very important that we are guiding everything they do um, in the school. Okay, now this is, uh, this is not inspired writing, but it's a quote from uh, W.E. Howell, uh, written in the Review and Herald in, in March 25 of 1928. It says, there is another kind of thing the world calls play, namely the game. Through, uh, though often used loosely, a game proper is a contest. The spirit of it is the spirit of competition, of beating the other's fellow either by surprising him in exploit or by attaining the ultimate of putting him out of action. It exalts the victor and humiliates the loser. While natural play is an imitation of work, this artificial play represented in the game is an imitation of fight, an imitation of war. The spirit of natural play is the spirit of work. The spirit of the game is the spirit of war. Okay? Now this, uh, not inspired writing, but it's probably a very good explanation of the difference between competitive spirit and the natural play that God intended for our children to do. Children naturally, if they're not exposed to all these things, naturally the little girls will want to sweep the floor and play, cook, and because childhood is the time to learn to be an adult and so their play is supposed to be helping them to grow up to be adults. so they're supposed to be playing mom and dad playing with frogs building so you don't want them playing things you don't want them to do when they grow up don't say oh it's just the game sometimes the kids they were playing rubber and cat um, 
um, cops one time, cops and robbers. And, and I said, oh, wait a minute, that's, you do, you're a robber? That's a bad thing. Oh, but it's just a game. And I said, hmm. But it's like something God wants you to be? No. Then let us not play it because what you play, you will learn to do. Right? So we want to play everything that we want to play needs to be something that is, in, in principle, is good. And I always constantly have to remind them of that because they have the mindset that if it's a game, you can shoot, you can kill, you can do. No. Because what the game, the, uh, the play was the way that God intended for children to learn to be adults. Naturally, that's what they will do. But also, naturally, they will copy you. You'll see the little girls will wear the mommy's shoes and, if, and, uh, and wear the dresses of mommy and they're all long like this and they're dragging with it because they're watching and mimicking you. This is how God intended for children to learn. They don't learn by what you say. And it's not that they're saying, I'm not going to hear you. Their, their brains were not wired that way. Their brains were wired to observe and copy. Observe and copy. So as we think about character development, remember we have to show the character that we want our children to have because they are watching, right? So if you're saying this is good, this is good, and then you're watching TV that shows evil, you're playing games that show the very things you tell them not to do, they don't understand that. And unknowingly, they rebel against it because their brains were not meant to have conflicting sides. And because we're naturally sinners, it's easier for them to go that way, so they choose that way. And then we wonder why they leave the church. Right? So we need to be very careful with all the principles behind what we do. And this is our children playing. When you don't have competition, when you guide them, they find very, very fun ways to play. Now, this is, uh, they have gone down the slide, and, the, and uh, this little boy was stuck in the bottom and couldn't get up. And he he's, um, has some developmental problems, and so he doesn't have the same uh, control of movement that other children have. Um, and so he was struggling, really struggling to get up. So they all decided to deal a chain and bring him up. And I was there watching, and I thought, wow, this is amazing. Sometimes they don't always do that, but uh, you want to guide them to do it. But that day, I didn't have to guide them. They chose to do that. And they, they do a lot of things together. This is another one of their houses in the, in the woods. Um, and they did get me to go down the slide. As you can see. They kept saying, come on. They love when, when you teach them to be this way, and you spend time with them, and you're playing with them, they love to have their teacher there. Right? Most children don't want their parents or adults there because they're going to ruin their fun. These kids are constantly, and the older ones too. I had the eighth grader was constantly like, oh, Miss, Fel Miss Feliciano, come do this with us. Miss Feliciano, come do this. And I, and I was like, oh, I'm always afraid of things. I'm going to break a leg. I'm going to do this. And uh, they're like, come on, do it. So finally I decided, okay, okay, I'm going to do it. And then I liked it, and I actually did, uh, slide, slid down uh, several times. So um, anyways. Okay, the next one, study of nature. Now, this, this is important, an important aspect of education because uh, Child Guidance, page 48, next to the Bible, nature is to be our great lesson book. This is God's second book. He's teaching us adults and he's teaching children through nature. So we need to make sure that we teach them not to just go run around outside, but to learn from God through the, His created works. The little children should come especially close to nature. 
right? So we do uh, spend time, we go with them on hikes and usually sometimes we give them something specific we want them to look forward to. Like we might go and say, okay, I want you to look for something that shows you the love of God or the power of God. And sometimes I just tell them, I want you to look for a spiritual lesson and let them come up with anything. And some children come up with very, things that you're like, wow, I never thought of that. And some of them might just say something simple. But you see how their um, understanding grows. And they, their object lessons that they get from nature are deeper and deeper as time goes. And so we do that. We also have them uh, sometimes sit by themselves, a hard thing for children, and just contemplate and talk with God. So I tell them, if you start getting bored, just start talking to God. Talk to God. And so they're supposed to sit there. I give them a little, a little box so that they know that's their space. They can just run around. And, uh, and they just need to contemplate. And I um, send one this way, one that way, one that way. So they're separated enough. They can't see each other, but I can see them. And then I give them a certain amount of time. Um, usually about 10 minutes. That's a huge long time for children to be quiet. <laughs> but they get a lot of things from this time. This is us. We have gone on an object lesson walk. This is the top of a mountain. And so when we got to the top, they got to share with each other the lessons they got that day. And uh, this is Dr. Tilstra. He is the professor of outdoor education, a professor of outdoor edu education, I think the director of it at the Southern uh, Adventist University. He loves nature and he has very creative ways of getting children interested in nature. So we invited him one day and he spent a day um, with the children doing all kinds of activities. Uh, now that day ended up raining and I wasn't sure how it was going to work out, but he was very creative and still bringing out nature. And we went out with umbrellas and such and still had a chance for the children to really look and, and contemplate and discover and, and look for opportunities um, to hear God in nature. Now, of course, part of nature is agriculture. And this is a very important part of uh, education. Right, not just because we're in an agriculture conference, but um, God is trying to teach us through the uh, working of the soil. In Fundamentals of Christian Education, page 374, it says, the natural and the spiritual are to be combined in the studies of our schools. The operations of agriculture illustrates the Bible lessons. The laws obeyed by the earth reveal the fact that it is under the masterly work power of an infinite God. The same principles run through the spiritual and the natural world. Divorce God and his wisdom from the acquisition of knowledge, and you have a lame, one-sided education, dead to all the saving qualities which give power to man. So you can't divorce it. If you take one element of true education out, it already is not true education. It's just like the Ten Commandments. If you break one, you break all. So you have to take the whole package. You can't just take one and leave the rest. So it's very important that we take uh, the whole thing. Study in agricultural lines should be the A, B, and C of the education given to our schools. This is our children in the farm there, the uh, Wildwood. When I first came to the elementary school, there was no garden at the school. Uh, the children were not doing agriculture at the time. And um, all I knew is that sometime in the past, they used to have a, a garden plot close to the school, and apparently they didn't have someone to follow up with their gardening class or were finding a hard time to, 
to do it, whatever the case may be, they stopped doing it, so someone else had taken over that plot. And we don't have very much space by the elementary school for a garden. So I come there, and I had learned of this quote before I started working there. Now, I'm not a gardener. I don't know how to grow anything. And I, um, anything I tried to grow died. So here I come, now I know God's uh, plan of education. And as I've done in the past, I decided I'm going to trust God, even though I don't see it. Because how could I grow anything I did not see? And I had no one to help me. No idea how to even start, but I knew we needed a garden. So I went around and tried to get someone to help us to at least get some gardening beds. It was the only thing we could do in our front yard. And um, so they came, and this is our front yard. Uh, they, uh, they, the farm crew came in and built three boxes in here. So we started our garden. And this is lettuce from one of the, the, the boxes. And you see the children very happily growing their lettuce. And it did very well. We do have an issue that we have a lot of trees in our property. Um, and so we don't get very much sun, so not everything does well there, but we do get some things from our little garden. Um, we planted strawberries at one time, and this was a project I did, and I, t I, I had to learn how to do it. So I went to YouTube, YouTube and watched it, and then I taught the kids. So I'm learning to teach them. I'm learning to teach them. I've, you know, I can't say I don't know how to do this. If I can't find someone who knows how to do it to teach them, I have to teach them. And so the Lord has been teaching me a lot. I've learned, I think, more than the children have. And so we planted the strawberries, and I, I started seeing these things coming out. I tell you, I, don't, I didn't know very much about plants, so I'm like, what do I do with all this? So I went back to YouTube and found out uh, what to do with the little shooters. So we, um, this is when we were planting them. We put them in little pots, and then we went in front of the country store and sold them. And the children were the ones that took the people's money, gave them their change. They have to figure out the math. Um, and they, when we came back, they said, this was the most fun math class we've ever had. <laughs> and uh, they were so excited that, you know, we were really set up. This is our country store, which is a health food store and, and on the campus. And we um, had it set up right there, but they were so excited. They didn't want to wait for people to come in. So they started going out to the street and getting the cars of the people who are passing by and not planning to come to the country store. And of course, you know, who can say to a child, no, okay, I'll buy it for you. And so we sold all of them uh, and they were very happy doing that. that we uh, learned also that um, the council tells us we should beautify our surroundings with flowers. So it's not just gardening for food. Um, and so we, we prepared this area right here um, to plant some flowers and we went down the road with a lot of rocks so we went and got rocks and, and started to put them around to make our little edge and then we had a little bed of flowers over here and the children were at that time we didn't have a hose that went over there so they were taking the water they, they love doing all these things they just really enjoy it they don't think it's work they think it's fun um, here we were building a compost um, bin with pallets um, and I never done anything with tools in my life. I grew up in a home where my dad took care of everything. And uh, when I was in my own home, I always lived close to my dad. So something broke daddy and he came fix it, you know. 
I knew how to cook, I knew how to clean house, I knew how to do a woman's job, right? But, you know, I've stayed single longer than I should have, and so I don't have my daddy anymore, and, I mean, he's still alive, but he's in Florida and I live in Georgia, so that, I can't just call daddy anymore, and um, maintenance department's very, very, very uh, busy, so I can't call on them either. I, I had to learn, I had to learn, and so I figured, okay, I had to teach these children practical skills, and I have to learn them to teach them. So I learned how to use a hammer, I learned how to use a drill, I learned how to use a circular saw. Um, by the grace of God, I haven't cut off an arm or anything. Uh, by the way, one of the things that people worry about putting tools in, in kids' hands is that they're gonna get hurt. I've been working there five years, and we've had four accidents where the children have gotten fairly seriously hurt, not like, an arm was cut off, but that they've actually had to go to emergency room, and none of them were doing practical skills. All of them was playing in the playground. They fell off the monkey bars, they fell off the seesaw, they were monkeying around in the, doing what they shouldn't do. That's how they got hurt. Now, can they get hurt using tools? Yes, they can. They can. It is a, uh, it is a risk you take, but the reality is not as dangerous as people paint it to be. If you teach children responsibility and you do have to take in consideration all the safety issues and be careful that you're not having everybody there, you have to be observing, you have to be guiding, um, but it can be done very safely. Um, he, and then, because we can't do a whole lot in our garden, we want them to get more exposure, we go to the farm. Every time we start farm, we always start with worship. And this was my favorite farm manager. He was so spiritual. He knew how to help children find spiritual lessons in everything that we do from beginning to end. He was always talking about spiritual things. But he's moved on, uh, gone to another min to do other ministry somewhere else. And we miss him. Um, but the children have uh, gotten a lesson from him and they still learn uh, spiritual lessons. Uh, so there's, this is them working in the farm, working in the farm again. They, they really, farm is their favorite thing. Um, they love going out there. Um, they do all kinds of things, you know, shoveling dirt and carrying it to where it needs to be. Um, we are careful not, they, we don't fill up their buckets as we do a grown person because there's certain weight they can carry, but they can carry a bucket, right? We, they, it's not like they're lame. They, they, you have to be careful that you don't give them more than what bodies can take, but uh, we don't need children just to be weakling, weaklings. They can do more than we give them credit for. And they love machines, especially the boys, so they were so excited they got to ride this thing. And the girls, too, love hard work, and they like to be able to show they can work. Um, this is blueberries. They were just pulling out weeds that day, and look, she's so happy, and all they do is going around pulling the weeds out of the pots. <laughs> this is harvesting. It's always a fun time, um, and we were preparing beds for, um, for planting, and they had created this little thing here, so it was a neat thing for the students to see, and uh, get to use it. They were all excited. They thought this was the, the best invention in the world. It's a simple tool, but um, enjoyable. We were collecting <laughs> sweet potatoes, and they, they got, uh, they thought it was cute, all the different shapes there. Um, they're working in the field, just preparing the beds, pulling things into the greenhouse. Uh, there we're transplanting strawberries. And they're wearing masks because we were dealing with uh, sifting dirt and a lot of um, dust was coming up. Um, so they learned everything that has to do with the farm. 
Now, so that you know how much they enjoy the farm, there was a time when the work at the farm kind of slows down a little bit, so the farm manager told me, you know, to give the kids a break, we'll take a few weeks off. And so I didn't want to tell him what to do because this, you know, he probably needed a break. So I said, okay. So I told the children, we're, we're not going to go to the farm uh, next week for a couple of weeks. And they were like, no. And I'm like, no, so you guys can have a break. We don't want a break. We don't want a break. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, I mean, I don't get to make that decision. You know, the farm manager wanted to help you and he thought you needed a break. No, we want to uh, make a protest. Let's make a protest and tell them that we don't want to. So they, I was like, what? Yeah, yeah, let's make a protest. Can we make some posters and go uh, do a strike in front of the farm? I said, <laughs> okay, sure. So they made this, this poster. We want to go to the farm, help plants. So we went, we all marched the plants and they, I mean, to the farm. And they were yelling out, we want to go to the farm. We want to go to the farm. <laughs> and so this was, um, their protest and the farm manager couldn't resist and said okay we'll see you next week and so we didn't have the break that we thought we were gonna have so we're gonna stop here our time is gone and uh and we'll pick up in the next session finish um the more principles about what our children need to learn and the practical ways in which we have um, um implemented them uh, let's pray Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you that though we don't always see it, your ways are always higher and better. Help us to have faith that we would give our children the best. And I'm so thankful that I've had the privilege to be able to see uh, True Education in Action, and I'm thankful for this privilege to be able to share what you have done in our little school with this um, people here, that they may too be able to be encouraged that you have a way that is better. In Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.